Afflicted state to Christ draw near, your Savior's gracious promise here, his faithful word you can believe, that as your days your strength shall be, your faith is weak. Your foes are strong, and if the conflict should be long, the Lord will make the tempter flee, that as your days your strength shall be. So sing with joy of
your days, your strength shall be. Good morning and welcome to Crawford Avenue Baptist Church. It's good to see everyone here this morning as we've gathered together to worship the Lord as one body. As you come in and uh, find your seat, I'm going to share a few announcements with you. My name is Stephen Story. I serve as one of the pastors here. Uh, you should have received a bulletin as you came in the door this morning. And if you'll go ahead and pull that out, there's several things there that I'll, uh, I'll mention to you. Uh, the first thing I'll draw your attention to is the connection card. That's the card that looks like this. Oops. There it is. And uh, we'd like to ask that everybody here today fill out a connection card, uh, at least with your name and your email address. And uh, check at the top if you're a first or second time guest, if you're a regular attendee here, or if you're a member of the church. And uh, there's a place here, if you're a guest with us, you can share how you heard about the church. Uh, maybe you found us online, or you were invited by a coworker. We'd love to know how you heard about the church. And uh, if you are visiting with us for the first time, I just want to say a special welcome to you. We're glad that you're here today. After the service, I uh, would invite you to stop by our welcome table, which is outside and to this side of the building over here. Uh, we'll have folks there who uh, can answer any questions you may have as you're new to the church. We also have a gift for you. It's our way of saying welcome to Crawford Avenue. Uh, flip over the card on the back. There's a place where you can share any prayer requests, any ways that the pastors can be praying for you this week, uh, any other comments or questions. At the end of the service, uh, you can simply leave this card on your seat, and we'll come around and collect those. Or you can fold this card in half and drop it in the offering box at the door as you exit. There are other announcements in your bulletin uh, that I want to draw your attention to. The first one you see there is about our family gathering and members meeting, which is happening today, uh, right after the service. Uh, so after our service today concludes, we are planning to have lunch together uh, outside in the grass lot across the street from the church. And uh, we'd love for everyone to be able to join us for this. Uh, if you are a guest, even if this is your first time visiting, we hope that you can stay and join us for lunch, and uh, we can have a, a chance to get to know you a little bit better. Uh, so if you're a guest, go ahead and jump in the line uh, as soon as you get over there and uh, help yourself to lunch. If you're a regular part of the church, uh, but you did not sign up ahead of time for lunch, uh, we hope that we have got enough food uh, for you as well. We would ask that you just kind of hang to the back of the line to make sure that we have enough uh, lunch for everyone. But then hopefully uh, you'll be able to join us as well. After lunch today, around 1 o'clock or whenever uh, lunch is, is winding down, we'll ask the members of the church to come back here in this room, and we have our regular bi-monthly members meeting today uh, here in this room following lunch. You also see an announcement in your bulletin about uh, Summer Sidekicks uh, Sports Camp. Uh, this is our version of Vacation Bible School, and it's intended for kids grades 1 through 5 who are part of the Crawford Avenue family here or who live in our immediate neighborhood here in Harrisburg. And uh, you see some of the details there. This is coming up the week of June the 6th. This will be each evening that week, the week of June the 6th. You can go ahead and register your kids to participate uh, if uh, they'll be a part of that. And right now we're especially looking for volunteers uh, to help us offer this ministry to our church family and to our community here in Harrisburg. Uh, so if you want to register your kids or if you want to sign up to volunteer, you can do both of those things online. Just go to CrawfordAvenue.org slash register, and you'll see a place there where you can sign up for our Sidekicks Summer Sports Camp. We will worship the Lord through giving today, and uh, there are a few ways you can do that. Uh, there's information on the screen. You can text to give. Uh, you also can uh, put your physical tithe and offering in the, the box at the door as you exit, or you can give online on our website. 
Christ. Well, those are all the announcements. We are here today to worship God together. We'll begin our time together uh, with a moment of silent prayer. This is a chance for us to focus our hearts and our minds on the one whom we have come to worship. So let's pray silently together. Father, we have gathered today to worship you in your kindness and in your infinite mercy. You have made us your church, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for your own possession, that together we might proclaim your excellencies, for you have called us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. We have gathered here to do just that, to proclaim your excellencies, for you are wonderful in so many ways. O oh Lord, may your spirit work in us and among us to illumine our hearts as we recount the wonders of your loving kindness to us in Christ Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. God has given us his word in the writings of scripture. He has also given us his word in the life and embodiment of Christ Jesus. While fully human, Jesus is also fully God, without compromise to his humanity or to his deity. And as we begin our time of worship, we'll focus on that as we read from John 1 together. So please stand. We'll read the underlined portions out loud together as a congregation. Consider the word made flesh as we read. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, 
And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen. And by his word, God gives us eyes to see and faith to hear, and we submit to that word. Not only do we hold on to his word, but we are also held on to by Christ, the living word. We'll enter into a time of confession where we admit to God in prayer that we are sinners, that we need Christ to keep us in times of doubt, times of struggle, and to confess specific sins that we know we have committed and need to repent of. So let's take time now to bow our heads in a moment of silent prayer, and then in a spirit of prayer, I'll conclude by reading Psalm 121. So let's pray.
I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Amen. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the center will prevail, He will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path. For my love is often cold. He must hold.
Amen, church. Please be seated. As Shannon comes for our scripture reading, open your Bibles to John chapter 14, verses 15 through 27. If you're using one of the black Bibles in the chair in front of you, you'll find it on page 901. In today's passage, we find Jesus giving his disciples final instructions and teaching before he goes to the cross. Having washed their feet before the Passover meal, Jesus now teaches his followers the connection between love and obedience to God. Hear now the word of the Lord. John 14, 15 through 27. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Amen. This is God's word. Amen. Good morning. My name is Don Pizzotta, and I serve as an elder here at Crawford Avenue. And this is the time of our service where we will go to the Lord together in corporate prayer. Uh, so let's bow our heads and, and pray. Heavenly Father, creator and redeemer God, author of all life and source of all blessedness, we praise you for your love. We thank you for your grace and making us capable of knowing you. We, we pray this morning that your name would be made great, even here, as we seek to honor and worship you. And to the ends of the earth, as churches around the world worship you. In our context here, Father, right here in, in Augusta, we thank you for the many opportunities we have to serve you and to serve one another. We pray, Lord, especially for our ongoing community groups and cohorts, our men's and women's Bible studies, 
and discipleship training. We pray for our children and youth ministries, especially considering our upcoming sidekick sports camp. Father, we pray that those efforts would be blessed by you, that you would raise up volunteers, that you would raise up leaders and teachers from amongst us, that we might serve one another and serve you. We thank you, Lord, for our college ministry and the many ways that they serve us. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to bless those efforts. We thank you for the many people who lead and teach, for those who volunteer in the shadows, whose names we might not even know. We thank you and we praise you for those people. And Father, we praise you for those who serve in so many ways. We ask that you would bless each of these ministries, not only for our good, but for your glory. As we transition from local to a specific nation, Father, we want to pray this morning for the nation of Colombia. Father, we pray that you would have mercy on that nation in the turmoil from political and drug-related violence that has plagued that nation for so many years and has cost them thousands of lives. We pray for the many orphans and widows that are created as a result of that violence. We ask, Father, that in your mercy, the violence would stop, that workers would be raised up from your local churches to be called to ministry in the nation of Colombia, to serve you and that nation in a way that would bring glory to your name. Father, that your church would be strengthened and established in Colombia, that you would continue to grow leaders to teach your word, and that your word would be hear, heard and acted upon. We pray for all who suffer from loss in Colombia, that you might meet their needs and they might find in you a great hope and restoration. And even as we consider Colombia, Father, we pray also for our brothers and sisters around the world who face persecution each and every day because of your name. Father, we pray for your church around the globe to be strengthened by your steadfast love, to be emboldened by your incomprehensible power to be unified by your unending grace. We ask that you might even start right here in this church at Crawford Avenue. As we seek to worship you this morning in spirit and truth, Father, fill this place with your presence, that we would worship you and know you more and more each and every day. We pray that we would turn our hearts and minds to you with open eyes and ears to your truth, to your good news the truth of the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ, that through his life, death, and resurrection, we can find salvation. We, we, we praise you for the truth of your good news that tells us that by your grace, our sins are forgiven and our guilt is pardoned. Father, that we praise you that we understand and know that when we repent and believe, we are saved. We thank you that by the Holy Spirit, we can be transformed and sanctified, striving to be more and more holy, more and more Christ-like. And Father, we thank you for your good news because it is good. Give us wisdom to take you at your word. As we anticipate hearing Pastor Jesse preach this morning and hearing your word preached, Father, we ask that you would awaken our hearts and point our minds towards you giving us a longing for your word that we might not only hear and see, but that we would do, that you would help us walk according to what your word teaches and commands. 
that we would actually be what we say we are. We pray that we would be a church who has our hearts set on things above, heavenly things and not worldly things. We pray, Father, that grace would be the mark of this church, that we would understand that we are a people who have received much grace, and therefore we would show grace in all of our dealings, that we would be partakers of your endless grace, and that would be an example to those around us. Oh God, make us worthy of the calling to which you have called us, that we would walk in a way that glorifies you. We pray all this in the name of your Son and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Don. As Christians, we profess that Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through him. As we continue in worship, let's proclaim that truth together using our confession of faith. Please stand, and we will read the confession of faith concerning the way of salvation. There are two pages to this, or two, two slides to this, and we'll read all of it in its entirety. We believe that the salvation of sinners is all of grace through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. By the Father's design, Jesus freely took upon himself our nature, yet without sin, and was perfectly obedient to the Father in all things. By his vicarious substitutionary death, he made full atonement for our sin, breaking the curse. Having risen from the dead, he is now enthroned in heaven, qualified to be our suitable, compassionate, and all-sufficient Savior in every way. Amen. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What eyes of
has given us his counsel and instruction and continues to guide us by his spirit. Let's rejoice in this guidance as we continue to sing. Oh. 
Morning, Crawford. Uh, it's so good to see all of you here this morning. My name is Jesse Holmes. I serve as the discipleship pastor. And then as we are continuing in our series, understanding what it means to be a disciple, if you've been with us this semester, beginning in January, we've walked through the be attitudes to understand the character of a disciple. Uh, we then had a message from James to further understanding the marks of a disciple. The last time I was with you in 1 John, we walked through 1 John to understand the message of a disciple, and today we'll be back in 1 John to understand about the obedience of a disciple. Our goal and intent and our purpose of these messages is so that everybody here will be on the same page understanding what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. So specifically, we'll be in 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. If you're using one of the black Bibles in front of you, we'll find it on page 1021. 1021. The Apostle John writes this. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious God, we are so grateful to be able to gather together again as believers to walk through your word. Lord, this is not a task that I take lightly, and I ask that you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, would teach us from your word, that you will give us great understanding, not so that our knowledge increases, but our love for you will increase. And as a result, our love for those that are far from you and those that belong to you, that our love for them will increase as well. So Lord, teach us this morning by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Salvation is a gift from God in which a person that is dead in their sin, eternally separated from God, living a life that is all about pursuing selfish gain, is granted the faith to repent of their sin 
and trust in the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. And that is a huge word, substitutionary atonement, is the idea that Jesus took our place in dealing with the wrath of God. This gift of salvation is a work of God through the work of Jesus on the cross and is not dependent upon the work of man, meaning that we cannot do things to earn our own salvation. It is truly a gift. The work of salvation, however, does not end there. It does not end with us being transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved Son. But God, by his grace, is continuously at work in us by the power of the Holy Spirit, conforming us, transforming us into the likeness of his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the process of sanctification. And the process of sanctification bears fruit, or there's visible evidence that God is at work in men and women. This is the truth of the gospel. In our text today, the Apostle John is transitioning from exposing the false teachers based on what they have said to exposing the false teachers based on how they live. And if you remember from our last time in 1 John, uh, many scholars believe it's the Gnostics. It's, it's a cult, cultish group that has come in and are spreading lies about what it means to follow Jesus. And so John, as an apostle, as a pastor, as a teacher, is trying to guard the hearts and the minds of the believers in this church and protect them from the influence of false teachers. And so what he does in our previous text, when we looked at 1 John uh, chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, what he does is he exposes their lies. They kept saying things that were just not true. He says, if you hear this, don't follow them. If they say this to you, don't follow them. If you overhear them saying this, don't follow them. But in our text today, we see that there's more to it. There's more that John is trying to expose about the false teachers in order to protect the church. Now, this issue of false teachers have not gone away. Uh, there are still false teachers out there today on YouTube, on television, knocking on your door, might be on your jobs. There are those that might profess to have knowledge of the true and living God, and yet what they teach and what they communicate does not line up with the very words of God. And so we find ourselves asking the question, well, how do we discern? As believers in this world, as we're listening to people speak to us all the time through so many modes of communication and so many forms of media, how do we discern the truth from a lie? How do we guard our churches from false teachers? How do we protect our children and our homes from lies from the enemy? Well, John is going to answer that question today in our text. And he's going to tell us some things that will not only help us identify false teachers, but will hopefully help us to examine our own lives. Now, the danger in the lesson today, I want to make sure you understand this, it will be very easy to listen to this message and think, oh man, there's more things I need to do. All right, let me bust out my to-do list and add this checkbox and this checkbox because it's all about behavior modification. But that is also a false gospel. What we are talking about today as we impress upon you the importance of obedience, we are not saying that obedience leads to salvation because we are saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus and it is a gift. 
But what we will understand is that our obedience as disciples communicates something that is going on inside. And so our text this morning, we'll find and learn three truths about the obedience of a disciple, and then in the end, we'll conclude with a question. Today, we'll look at three truths about the obedience of a disciple and conclude with a question. So first, the obedience of a disciple affirms genuine conversion. The obedience of a disciple affirms genuine conversion. Let's look at verses 3 through 4 again. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. So John, at the very beginning, he says, and by this we know. So this phrase right here is communicating to us that John is trying to give us a test. Uh, Not just a test for us to take, but a test to examine people, teachers, other people that are coming to us professing something. And so he says, and by this we know. So he is communicating what I'm about to explain coming up. Everything that I'm about to say next is serving as a test or a way to examine those that are speaking into your life. And so, John, what is this test? Well, he says this, the test is to reveal if they know him. He says, moving on in verse 3, and by this we know that we have come to know him. The RSV version of the Bible translates it, by this we may be sure that we know him. So how do we test the genuineness of conversion or the genuineness of someone's faith that is speaking into our lives? And as a quick side note, we're not trying to equip ourselves, like I said last time, to be able to say, oh, you're a Christian, you're a Christian, you're definitely not a Christian. Oh, no, not even, you need to stop trying. Oh, yeah, you guys are Christians. That's not what we're trying to do in this. But with these tests, we are trying to help guard our own hearts our families, and the church from false teachers and false teaching, false doctrine entering in. And so many people will say, oh, well, you can't judge me. Oh, no, you can't judge other people. Well, you need to read the Bible because that's not necessarily true. No, we are not called to sit on the throne of God and point fingers of condemnation, but we are called to be wise and to be very careful about what we're listening to and what we're watching, and what we're allowing to speak into our hearts and into our homes. And so, John is giving them a test to discern, to discern, okay, is this person that is speaking in, are they legit or not? And so, what's the evidence of someone's faith? What's the evidence of someone's commitment? What's the evidence of someone's belief? It's obedience to Jesus' commands. This is what he says, furthermore, And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Our obedience to Jesus' commands is evidence of a heart that has been transformed by Jesus. The obedience to Jesus' commands is evidence that something that Jesus Christ has done something within us. Now, see, the warning here would be to confuse, uh, confuse following and being obedient to Jesus' commands with being nice. 
and being kind, giving people high fives and hugs, being loving. And we live in a world to where that is what the world does. It boils Jesus down all the way to, oh, you just got to love people. That's it. Well, how do you love people? What does it look like to love people like Jesus? And that is where you're going to see, is this person uh, the chief authority of their life? Are they determining what it looks like to love and follow Jesus? Or are they allowing Jesus to speak into that himself? What does Jesus say as he's asked the question about the greatest commands? What are the greatest commandments in which the law and the prophets depend to love the Lord your God with your all and to love your neighbor as yourself. But how do we truly love God? Well, that's where John 14 comes in. We keep his commandments. Our obedience to his commandments communicates the transformation that's taking place in our hearts. True obedience to Jesus' commandments are only possible through a heart that has been changed by him. Because the reality is, the world is filled with many people that do nice and kind and cool things. But the only way that you can love your enemy is if Jesus helps you do that. The only way that you can sacrifice the things that you love for the benefit of others is Jesus is the one that's changing your heart to do that. The only way that you can abandon the comforts of your home to go overseas to reach a people that don't know him is if Jesus has done something on the inside of you. And that's way deeper than uh, buying someone lunch. That's way deeper than taking someone out for coffee or giving them a kind word. That is conforming your life, that is modding your life after Jesus. Now, what John continues to do, he wants to support his positive statement or this positive command with a negative example. And we saw this in our last chapter. He did this before. He says, this is what you need to do, and if you don't do this. So continuing on in verse 4, whoever says, I know him, or I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, I love God, hey, listen to me, but does not keep his commandments, or habitually disregards the words of Jesus. Like they see what Jesus says, and they're like, nah, I'm not doing that. Like, oh, that sounds good, but I'm not doing that. So whoever says that I'm a believer and I'm a Christian, but the pattern of their life models that they do not regard what Jesus says, they're a liar, and the truth is not in them. What a strong word to say, right? John is saying they are a liar. They are intentionally trying to deceive. They are fooling you. They are wanting to lead you astray. So if this person who is saying that I am a Christian, follow me, listen to me, but when they look at Jesus' commands, they're they're easily throwing things out or saying that doesn't apply to me, don't listen to them. Please don't listen to them. They are a liar, and the truth is not in them at all. And so the reality is, it's not just about what we say with our mouths and with our words, but it's about the actions that come out of a heart, which that should sound familiar, right? Uh, Don Pizzotta, one of our elders, preached from James, and one of the verses that he hit on was, do not be a doer, uh, do not be a hearer of the word only, but to be a doer. Because if you don't, you're deceiving yourself. 
you're not fooling God by hearing stuff and doing something different. You're really just deceiving yourself because God knows your heart. Now, please note, twice we have seen in these verses that the focus, the aim, the object of our obedience is on what? Jesus' commands. Now, I know this sounds duh, right? Like, okay, duh, like we are to keep Jesus' commands. But do you know how often someone decides what they do and what they do not do solely based on their feelings and their emotions and their heart and what mom said and what dad said and grandma said or tradition says? But what is the test? What is the test of genuine conversion that someone is truly a believer? That they're not concerned about what their heart says. They're not concerned about where their emotions lead them, but they are solely fixated on Jesus' commands. It's not their heart because our hearts are so deceptive. And it's not our feelings and emotions, because sometimes you feel like something's good or something's great, and then you realize, oh, that was a bad idea. Like maybe you haven't gone running for a few months or six months. You're like, man, I'm about to go run three miles. It feels like a good day to run three miles. And probably like two minutes into it, this was a bad idea. My feelings are not helping me keep going. My feelings are not helping me to persevere and keep going on. And so our heart and our feelings and our emotions and even what we hear out there in the world can be deceptive. And so we go to Jesus' commands. Well, where are Jesus' commands? Like, where do we find them? It's not in what I say, our pastors, or our parents say, but it's in the Word of God. Now, please understand this. I'm not saying that we ignore our pastors or we ignore our leaders and our preachers and teachers, but God's Word is the chief authority of our lives. And so if a mom or dad or grandparent or pastor or teacher or leader says something contrary to this right here, then we do not listen to them. And then that also means that if my feelings and my emotions and my desires cause me to walk out of step with this right here, then I need to lay my emotions and my heart and my desire aside and submit my life, therefore, to the commands of Jesus Christ our Lord. And the reality is, it is very difficult. Jesus is going to say some things that you don't want to hear. Jesus is going to look inside your heart, and he's going to tell you, you need to get that out. This does not belong. You need to stop doing this. And our natural inclination is to buck against that and to fight it, and to come up with excuses and ways to cling to the sin that we love so much. But if God's word of his commands are the sole authority over your life, then you will not make him submit to you, but you will submit to him, even when it hurts. If you are resistant to following Jesus' commands consistently, habitually, then may I suggest that you might not be following him you might just be following yourself. You might just be submitting to your own lordship and not to the lordship of Christ. Next, John continues on. He says that the obedience of a disciple not only affirms genuine conversion, but it does something on the inside of a disciple. The obedience of a disciple perfects God's love. The obedience of a disciple 
perfects God's love, specifically in us. This is found in the first part of verse 5. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. Uh, If you will, like underline uh, in him uh, in verse 5, or put an asterisk or write it down on a piece of paper, we're going to be coming back to that phrase, in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. So this is what John is saying. He says, in him truly. So in him, in, in that person, in us, truly, surely, for show, like certainly, this is what is true, the love of God. The love of God is in them. And there are so many different understandings of what John is trying to get at. There's two specifically, and one that I will point out. By the love of God, he's saying the love for God. In him, in in that person that is a disciple, in that person that is saying that they are a Christian, in them there is a love for God. If they, are, if they have experienced genuine conversion, they're truly a believer. In them, they have a love for God. But there's something interesting about this love of God, that as we walk in obedience, as we keep his commandments, the love of God that's in us is perfected or is brought to completion or is accomplishing what it was intended to do. And so John is saying this, that our obedience to Jesus' commands, to the Lord's commands, as we read and as we study and as we obey, we're saying, God, I love you. As we allow him to cut us to the heart and we then conform our lives to the image of Jesus, we're saying, God, I love you. When we uh, pluck out our eye or cut off our hand that we might not sin in obedience to Jesus' commands, we're saying, God, I love you. When we go and talk to that person that we don't like and we express the love of Jesus to them, we're saying, God, I love you. It's the actions of our hands and of our mouths and of our feet that are communicating, John is pointing out, is communicating true love to God. And so loving God is not just about enjoying his blessings with a smile. It's not about singing it or saying it or praying it. But as we walk in obedience to his commands, we're then communicating that we love them. You might have been in a situation where mom or dad said, hey, I need you to clean up your room. Um, So, yeah, just try to get it clean by the end of the day or by tomorrow. If tomorrow comes and the room is not clean and you say, mom, dad, I love you so much. Like, I'm just so in love with you. And they look inside the room, and there's still clothes everywhere. Maybe there's some food. Maybe there's some trash. There's books. Do you really love them? you, You might say it with your words. Oh, mom, dad, I love you so, so much. But our disobedience communicates something differently. It does not communicate love. It might, to an extreme, communicate hate or dislike. Or can I, can I explain it this way? It communicates that you don't know what's best for me. I know what's best for me, so I'm going to do what I want to do. That doesn't communicate love for that parent at all. It communicates the opposite. It communicates distrust. 
And so as John is unpacking this and he is explaining that the obedience of disciple perfects God's love, he is saying that as we walk in obedience, that what we are doing is we're allowing our love for God to reach completion, to do the thing that we want it to do. It is properly communicating to God that we love him. Warning, if you say that you love God, if you sing that you love God, if you pray and tell other people that you love God, but you habitually, consistently, or have a pattern of disobedience, I'm sorry to say, but you might not love God. This might be an indication that you love yourself more. And so John is saying some hard words, but the reality is that there is a correlation between God's love or love for God and obedience. And the Apostle Paul actually brings this up again in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, verse 14, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, he says, for the love of Christ controls us or compels us or orders our life because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. This is truly what it means to love God. Obedience to him to the point to where we are no longer living for ourselves, We're not thinking about selfish gain or what we will lose or what we will gain. We're solely thinking about loving him with the way that we live. And so we have seen so far in these verses that the obedience of a disciple affirms genuine conversion. That obedience of a disciple, it perfects God's love in us. So our love for God is perfected. And finally, the obedience of a disciple influences their lifestyle. The obedience of a disciple influences their lifestyle. And so very briefly, what, what, uh, what I'm trying to communicate is there is no way that you can say I'm an obedient disciple and yet nothing in your life changes. That, that makes no sense. It's impossible according to the gospel that communicates to us that we were dead in the trespasses and sins in which we once walked, following the course of this world. So if that was the state of our life before, and if it looks the same afterwards, then there has not truly been a genuine conversion. And so obedience of a disciple influences their lifestyle. This is what John says. Again, he brings up, by this we know that we are in him. Uh, Let's go ahead and underline or put an asterisk or a star or write down and note in him comes up again. By this we know that we are in him. So this is pointing back to how we began this section in verse 3. Evidence of salvation. The gospel describes our relationship to Jesus after salvation with two words. Oftentimes, you find this in Ephesians chapter 1 and 2. You find it here in this text within him. The reality is that one who is saved, when we trust in Jesus, when we repent of our sins and place our faith in him, we're not just becoming best friends with God. 
He's not just becoming our father. Jesus is not just becoming our brother. But what the scriptures describe is that there is now a union between us and Jesus Christ, which is why it says over and over again that we are in him. And this is like next level stuff, right? This next level thing about salvation is communicating that we are now in him. So his home becomes our home. His inheritance becomes our inheritance. His righteousness becomes our righteousness because we are found in him. We are now united with Christ, which is why we should take sin so seriously, right? Uh, In 1 Corinthians, we get in chapter 6, Paul reminds the church, he tells them, you need to glorify God in your body. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? that there has now been a union in your salvation. You're not just hanging out over here by yourself and God is just up high looking low, but you have been united with Christ. And Paul says again in Romans chapter 6 as he's talking about baptism. Romans chapter 6, he describes that we have been buried with Christ. We have been raised to new life, to walk in newness of life in him. And so salvation communicates a union with Jesus Christ. So by this we know that we are in him, that we are united with him. Verse 6, whoever says he abides in him. I would underline and note that again. You see this emphasis? John is trying to communicate over and over again. Hey guys, I'm talking to you about salvation right now. Hey, I want you to understand about genuine conversion right now. I want you to understand what it truly means to be a Christian and to be a disciple right now. It's all about abiding in him, in him abiding in you. So whoever says that he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked ought to walk in the same way in which he, being Jesus, walked. This communicates two things. It communicates, first of all, that there, is a dif- there should be a difference in our lifestyle. That if we are walking, if we are purposely and intentionally walking in the same way that Jesus walked, then that means that there is something about the way that we live that does not resemble sinful man, but resembles, uh, resembles a holy and righteous Jesus. Now, side note, we understand this is a process, right? Like, you don't, be, you don't get saved, repent, and believe, and then all of a sudden, you're just speaking in King James, like quoting verses, like right off the top of your head, like staying away from sinful stuff. That, it's a process, It's a process. As you grow in the process of sanctification, as you read the Word and allow the Word to convict your heart and you obey the commands, your life should begin conforming into the image of Christ Jesus. And so those old patterns of living, they go away. It takes time, but they should go away. So as John says, as he's talking about our lifestyle change, he first of all points out that there should be a difference. So if our walk and pattern of life should match up with Jesus, there should be a difference. But then the second implication is simply this, that if we ought to walk in the same way in which he walked, it doesn't happen by random happenstance. You don't just wake up in the morning and start walking like Jesus. 
You just don't go to work that day and start talking like Jesus. But it requires intentionality. intentionality. It, in, it requires purposeful actions. It requires spending time in the Word to look and behold Jesus every single day and asking the Holy Spirit to help us to walk in that same way. It's not sitting back and just hoping that things will change. All right, I was dumped in the water. I get to have communion now. I'm just going to sit back and wait for Jesus to change me. One of these days now, things are going to start being different. I'm not going to say mean things anymore. I'm not going to think hurtful things anymore. I'm just waiting for the Holy Spirit to do this all by himself. And the reality is we can't be conformed into the image of Jesus apart from the work of the Holy Spirit but maybe you're hindering the work of the Holy Spirit by not spending time in the Word. And maybe you're hindering this process of sanctification by having a lackadaisical or a uh, apathetic understanding of your salvation. And so understand, uh, we're not working to be saved. But in this process of sanctification, you're either helping it along or you're hindering it. And if you isolate yourself if you neglect the Word of God, if you neglect gathering together with other believers, if you neglect listening to music that proclaims the truth of Jesus, if you neglect guarding your eyes from things that deter you from Jesus, if you live a life of neglect, you will not grow. You will not. And scary, it might be an indication that you are not genuinely converted. Understand, these are tests that John is giving. He's giving tests that we might understand what it looks like to walk in obedience and to truly be a disciple. And so our lifestyle change is one that our life now looks like Jesus and different than our life looked before, but it's one of intentionality. Uh, My last visit to Utah, uh, I got to go to I call him my nephew. He calls me uh, Uncle Jesse. Uh, Isaiah's baseball games. He's 10 years old at the time. Uh, plays baseball super well. And as a way to interact with non-believers, uh, Ben, my friend, coached the baseball team. Isaiah is good. I mean, he is amazing as a 10-year-old. But unfortunately, the result of him being so good led to pridefulness. Uh, he would make comments all the time, putting down other team members or just thinking that he should be in the game the whole time. In the particular game that I watched, um, his dad pulled him out because they were demolishing the other team. Like, I mean, they were just far above them. So dad pulled him out so that other students might get an opportunity to play. Isaiah was not happy. He was very, very angry to the point of disobedience. And so his mom had a conversation with him, and I was able to be there with the conversation. She said, uh, Isaiah, this is not the behavior of Jesus Christ. And his response was, well, I'm not Jesus. Well, I was really impressed with his mom um, that she let that go for the time being, and I just kind of took note to that. So later on that night, Isaiah was helping me pack. I said, man, I want to talk to you for a second. Uh, I found it very interesting that when your mom was trying to correct you and help you walk in obedience to Jesus' commands, you kind of was disrespectful. I said, not only that, I want to point this out to you. Ten-year-old, he listened, he under, hopefully he understood. I said, no, you are not Jesus, but if you are professing Jesus Christ as Lord, you are saying that your aim is to be like Jesus. 
And so when someone corrects your attitude or your behavior and they say that this is not Christ-like, if you respond consistently, well, I'm not Jesus, then you are excusing your sin. I say, young man, that's not the life that we live. That's not how we are to be, and you need to repent. And so to my own heart and to all of us, may we not excuse sinfulness. May we not excuse not looking and talking and acting like Jesus. Please don't ever say, well, I'm not Jesus, oh, or, oh, well, I'm only human. You understand salvation and the fact that you are now united with Him and that you are to be abiding in Him. And so the reality is when we start to walk out of step, we should be Johnny on the spot saying, okay, I need to walk back in step. I mean, when someone corrects our attitude and our behavior and the things that we say, if we buck against them, we are bucking against the Lord. Or or we're saying, Lord, don't tell me what to do. I reject your commands. I reject what you would have me to do. And as a side note, the, the notion that boys will be boys and girls will be girls, excusing behavior, if they're a believer, can we throw that in the trash? If you're old enough to confess Jesus Christ as Lord, then you're old enough to be held accountable to the commands of Jesus. And that continues on for the rest of your life. And so what we want to do is we want to encourage obedience to Jesus Christ, not only in rebuke and correction, but also in how we model our lives. And as young men and older men and young women and older women and parents and grandparents and mentors, we want to model obedience to Jesus Christ at all times, no matter what. So we don't want to use our humanity as an excuse to disobey. And so our final question, we've understood that the obedience of a disciple, it affirms genuine conversion. The obedience of a disciple, it perfects God's love that resides in us. The obedience of a disciple, what it does is it, it changes our lifestyle, that there's, uh, it influences our lifestyle. And so here's the question. How do we obey? How do we keep Jesus' commands? I just kept talking about over and over again to keep his commands, to obey his commands, to keep his commands and obey his commands. Well, how do we do that? Well, one of my favorite songs, All I Have is Christ, has this verse in it. Now the Lord, now Lord, I would be yours alone and live so all might see. The strength to follow your commands could never come from me. The reality is we can only obey with his help. We can only obey with his help. The strength to follow his commands, the strength to keep his commandments, the strength and the will and the power to walk in obedience can only come from him who has called us to obey. And the good news is that the Holy Spirit dwells within us, that God has given us his word to help us to obey. And so it's not a pick ourselves up by our bootstraps. It's not a, okay, I need to make more lists, or I need to get more accountability partners, or I need to set more alarms, or I need to change all of these things. May we live a life that communicates soul dependence on Him. Do you live that kind of life? 
that as people hear the words that come out of your mouth, as they see your restraint and self-control, they should be scratching their heads because they're like, how are you able to do this? This is crazy. This is insane. How are you living a life like this? And in those moments, we don't point to ourselves. We don't pat ourselves on the back. We don't boast in our restraint or our self-control. We boast in Christ Jesus. Because the only way to live this life that honors him is with his help. This is what it looks like to be a disciple that obeys. This is what it looks like to be a Christian that lives in a dying world. These are the expectations of Jesus Christ for those that follow him. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for the gift of salvation that we have not earned by the work of our hands, but it's been a gift from you. And Lord, we're so grateful that you have not left us alone. You didn't abandon us, but you gave us your word and the Holy Spirit that dwells in us to help us to walk in obedience to your commands. So Father, right now we confess our need of you. Lord, there are so many areas in our lives that you are aware of that we are still walking in darkness, that we're still clinging on to and not giving up. Will you help us? Will you help us to trust that you know better than us and that you have our uh, intentions, our good intentions in mind? And will you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, help us to take that trust and transform that into obedience to your commands. We need you, Lord. May you be honored and glorified in how we live our lives, and will you help us to walk in obedience. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. This is a hymn that we don't sing together very often, but it suits the text so well, I wanted to bring it out so we could sing it together. Trust and obey. Please stand as we sing together. When we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word, what a glory He sheds on our way. While we do His good will, He abides with us still, and with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey.
Amen. Please be seated. We're going to have a moment of silent prayer, and then Bert is going to uh, lead us in prayer, giving thanks for the food. You are welcome to join us. We'll be across in the lot, grass lot over here at the corner. Let's bow in prayer, and then Bert will conclude with prayer for the food. Father, we thank you for the word that we have heard this morning, and we do ask and pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit and by your word working in our lives, that we would be faithful disciples who follow Jesus in obedience. Lord, we thank you for this food that you have provided for us. We thank you, Lord, for fellowship in Christ. And Lord, as we meet together now, we pray that you would bless our time together. And it's through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. We do want to invite everyone to the meal that will be taking place just across the street. And then after the meal, I'll invite members to come back for our members meeting here in the sanctuary. So thank you for being here this morning. God bless.